You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 213 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm okay, Val. Yeah, yeah no. what, what's Actually, been happening? I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I always have to think, you'd think I'd be ready for this question, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd think, think I would like yes. have notes <laughs> and I would be like, Val's going to ask me how I am and what I've been doing and I would have like a full agenda written out. But unfortunately, I'm not that prepared. Um, So I'm very good. Uh, I've had a very busy couple of weeks and I'm sort of just finally starting to get on top of all of those things, which is great. Um, Oh, I have to tell you, I went to a party on Saturday night, which is, you know, unusual enough in itself because, you know, party queen, I am not. Um, But you kind of went with me in a funny sort of way. Well, so I have to tell you all a little secret. So every time I sit down to, to talk to Valerie on a Monday morning, I have in the back of my mind, you know, the song, the Mark Ronson song, um, Valerie with Amy Winehouse. Uh-huh. So there's kind of like that playing in the back of my head. So I went to this party and we had to take along, you know, additional uh, songs for the playlist. And one of those was, you know, um, a cover that you think is better than the original. And so I took, Valerie. Really? So I was there singing, <laughs> dancing on the grass, under the stars, singing, you know, because since <laughs> I've come on home, well, my body's been a mess. And there you were. Wow. Gee, you've got a great Won't voice. You come on over, Valerie. That's oh, you. my God. I you know, need to do Facebook Live in, like, <laughs> the podcast group. Uh, but, not but me, I'm, I'm you. I'm kind of jealous. I have to say I'm really jealous because you get that song, right? You get Valerie uh-huh. and it's yeah. upbeat and we're dancing. I get yeah. Alison. Alison, <laughs> I know this world is killing you. That's me. That's my song. Elvis Costello. So I remember I used to work at Federal Publishing back in the day. I was like 18. And there was this guy that worked there who was about 10 years older. And every time I passed him in the corridor, every time he started singing that song at me. And I was like, dude, it's the most depressing song in the world. Stop singing it to me. Oh, my God. Okay. So what I would like to know from our Facebook group, and if you're not in our Facebook group, you've got to join because it's so much fun. How about the Panoffee? Let's talk about the Panoffee in a little while. Oh, but yes. The, um, if, you, if you're in there and if there is a song written about you, a song that has your name attached to it, please tell me yeah. how you feel about that song because I – I think that's a really quite fascinating thing. Like somewhere out there, there's an Alison, you know, who was the subject of that song. Mm. And I'm, I'm, you know, feeling a bit sad for that album. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you, you know, 
<laughs> unrequited love or whatever's going on with that one. I love it. Oh, my God. And I just have to say, this I had no idea that you had such a great voice. You are definitely going to be doing some singing in that Facebook group. Okay, anyone who wants anyone who wants Allison to sing on a Facebook Live in the Facebook group, no, look, she'll Allison. do it for charity. Oh, she'll do it for charity. <laughs> now I'll, I've got you. <laughs> I'll do it after fifty beers for charity. Don't you remember? Buy, do you, do you not the remember beers. the time that I that I um, unexpectedly auditioned for the musical? Do you not remember that moment in my life? Unexpectedly. Well, just well, randomly, I went to a. <laughs> I can't believe you missed that. Was that not in podcast memory? Which that's which, a whole which look. That's a whole nother story. I feel like we'd almost need an entire episode to you know to 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 address that. But was I ended up on stage with a feather boa. I'm telling you, me. Oh, I was doing show numbers and kind of blues stuff from you know 1940s and. What was the musical? Yeah. It was kind of like, it was a cabaret show. Oh, my oh, look, God. I went, oh, look, it was a it was a long story, but my uh, my uh, so when I first kind of um, moved back to my hometown, I hadn't been here that long, and I um, my former music teacher reached out to me and said, you know, you should come because I used to do a lot of that sort of stuff when I was younger. I used to be in musical wow. theatre, and I was Alice in Alice in Wonderland, like I had the oh, whole show God. when I was eleven, and. Oh my um, God. I, she reached out and she was like, you know, you should come up, just come along to a meeting and see what we do and stuff. And I mm-hmm. said to John, oh, you know, probably should go. Anyway, she's because she's a great woman. She's lovely. So mm-hmm. I went along. It was just nice to see her again, if nothing else. And and then I've been there like five minutes and the next thing I was up on stage and she was like, what key do you want to sing this in? I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. how did I get here? <laughs> I just don't even <laughs> understand what happened. Anyway, that's I got in the show. Hilarious. I made it into the show. Oh, my God. I went home and I said I'd been gone an hour and I went home and, and you know, the builder goes to me, so what happened? And I said, I just unexpectedly auditioned for a musical. And he was just rolling. <laughs> The building is Alison's husband. Oh, he's my husband. <laughs> and he, like, he's on the floor rolling with laughter going, I can't believe you did that. I said, wait till you see the results when I've got a feather bow around my neck. But oh it was very. Oh, my God. Is there video footage? There isn't video footage, but there is there is pictorial evidence. I wrote a blog post about it. Would you like me to put the blog post in the show notes yes, so that you can all see absolutely. me in my boa? All right, Absolutely. I'll do this. Just for you, Valerie. Oh, my um, God. We should probably is. talk about writing. Oh, yes. This is we should so probably you want talk to be a singer. <laughs> well, we want to give a big shout-out to Joanna Nell, who is part of the Listener Facebook group. And uh, if you haven't yet joined, make sure you join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's free to join. And it's great seeing what everyone's doing, all, all these wonderful writers from so many different walks of life. And Joanna put a post in the Facebook group the other day, which is just so exciting. So she said, five years ago, I enrolled in the Australian Writers' Centre online course in creative writing and my writing journey began. It's been a long and sometimes frustrating road, but ultimately a labour of love. I've taken pit stops at self-doubt and imposter syndrome and the usual detours through pitch panic, rejection city and author platform avoidance. There were times when I felt utterly lost and almost gave up, but somehow the Australian Writer Centre and its awesome community always kept me going. Multiple courses and many thousand words later, my dream finally came true. Today Woo-hoo! I signed a book, two book deal with a Two book Australia. deal. 
Two book deal. And my debut novel is due to be published in October 2018. For anyone who feels lost on their journey, is full of self-doubt or discouraged by rejection, all I can say is be patient and please, please keep writing. And yes, although I hate to admit it, an author platform really helps. Thanks to the amazing, (laughs) yes, thanks to the amazing (laughs) Valerie Koo, Alison Tate, Kathy Tasker and Pamela Freeman. Oh, Oh. We're so excited. We're cheering. The champagne, the fireworks, the I applause. Know. We need sound well effects, Val. Well done. Yes. Well done, Joanna. Just so, so happy for you. So excited and cannot wait till next year when your book comes out because, oh, it's, I'm, I just can't wait to read it. Can't no, wait. me either. Very exciting. So exciting. Well done, Joanna. Yes, well done. All right, so let's move on to the uh, the rest of the world of writing and publishing. Now, you have made a guest appearance on Louise <sighs> Allen's blog, haven't you, Al? I have made a guest appearance, not with a spotlight and not wearing a feather boa, I would like mm. to point out. Um, so, yes, I wrote a post for uh, Louise J. Allen, um, who incidentally also has a debut novel coming out in January 2018, um, now, Louise uh, and I had a bit of a chat and we decided she asked me specifically to write a post um, for her because she is writing her second book. So she's also has a two-book deal. She's writing her second book and she was just like, Al, can you write me a post on how to write a book again? Um, because, of course. <laughs> I love that. Being- Oh, so do I because, you know, there's a lot of how to write a book stuff and, of course, you write your first book and you're thinking, oh, the joy, oh, you know, I mean, obviously we're cheering and we've got fireworks and all that sort of stuff. And then you realise that um, as a, you know, if you want to have a career as an author, if you want to, you know, obviously be published again, you have to write another one. So you have to actually sit down and do it all over again and again and again, um, which can be incredibly daunting, particularly because you always feel like you get to the end of that first novel and you think, well, that's me done. Yep, all done, finished. Mm -hmm. And then you realise you have to start the whole process again with a whole new cast of characters and a whole new world and a whole new everything. Um, So I wrote a a little post for Louise um, and I had three main tips. And it's probably worth reading the entire post, but I will give you a little précis of the three main tips. And you'll find this at Louise J. Allen, which is A-L-L-A-N.com, um, if you want to have, read the whole post. And we will put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. Now, the first thing that I would say is that you need to start with the right idea. And I think that this is um, something that I've learned over time uh, because I am someone who, for whom ideas are not a problem. I have lots and lots of ideas. I have like folders full of ideas. Um, but deciding what is the right idea for your next book takes a little bit more thought than, oh, there's a bright, shiny one, let's do that, you know, because any idea is a good idea. You have to think a little bit strategically. You have to think a little bit about, you know, which of the ideas that you've had is actually going to sustain you over, you know, however many words you have to write. Generally speaking with mine, um, because they're middle grade, it's about 55,000 words. But, you know, Louise is writing adult fiction, so she's looking at sort of seventy to 90,000 words, which is um, a lot of words to go wrong, um, and they mm-hmm. can go horribly wrong. So um, so think about, you know, what I do is I wait, you know, and I, when you have a deadline, um, it's very, very easy just to jump on the first idea that you have and get started. Um, but what you need to do is really think about it. You know, you have to wait 
point, you have to sift through any ideas that you have and you're looking for that idea that keeps coming back to you over and over in your mind and you choose that one. You know, the one that is, the one that makes you excited about the thought of discovering the story that goes with the idea. So um, that's my first tip is to start with the right idea. And now this is going to make my friend Alison Rushby laugh, but my second Mm. tip is to plan a little bit. All right, at least a little bit. So as we all know, I'm not a planner. I, You know, yeah. that idea that I've had, I get started. I write, um, I sort of sit down and I start writing. But then what I find is that when it gets hard, and that's usually for me around the ten to 15,000 word mark is when I run out of impetus. That's, you know, that drive that's taken me through the first ten to 15,000. Um, and it's at that point that I will stop and I will read over my 10,000 words to get a sense of, you know, where I'm up to. And then I write an outline. Um, and some, it's, it's usually only about a paragraph. Like when we're talking an outline, it's more of a, Oh, and this might happen. Um, but what it gives me is an idea of what the ending might be. And it's changes, things change. Like there's no doubt things change all the time, but it gives me something to aim for. So I'm a person who needs, who likes a destination and it gives me something to aim for. Um, and I never used to do this. Like when I wrote my first three manuscripts, which were unpublished. Um, I just wrote them completely by the seat of my pants. The first Mapmaker book was written like that. It was just like, let's have a crack at this and see where it goes. But having written six public, like, well, my sixth one will be published in March next year. Um, the, I've just, I've learned that there's efficiencies in having an outline and particularly if you're writing series fiction, um, it, you, you can get horribly messed up mm. when your first book is published and you realize that you actually, you know, should have put stuff in it that you don't have in your third book sort of thing. Yeah. That you need things. So, um, yeah, that was my, so even, even if you don't, if you're not a planner like me, um, just at least think about a destination. Um, and then my third tip is to be prepared to make mistakes because you Mm -hmm. will, like you're going to make mistakes as you go. Um, and you need to basically find a way, every book that you write is going to be slightly different. Every book that you, you know, even if you're writing a series, um, is going to be slightly different. Um, so you just got to sort of like be ready to make mistakes and you take all the lessons that you learn along the way. Um, because what happens, of course, particularly if you're writing, um, like I've written, like I wrote the Mapmaker Chronicles. I wrote book three. I was in mourning. I'd been with mm. these guys for two years and I sort of started writing another series and of course, I had to then get to know a whole nother world, a whole nother hero, a whole nother fantastic group of friends. But I had a little break um, because you've got to get your head out of one world and into another. Um, and even so, you're still going to make mistakes along the way. You're still going to find yourself, you know, in a mess. Um, things you, you find that things that worked the first time around when you wrote the book don't work for the new book. You know, you mix your worlds, your worlds up. You might find yourself trying to put way too much into your new novel um, because you couldn't fit those things into your last one. Uh, mm-hmm. So you make the mistakes. You try different things. Um, you get the draft out and then you realise, you know, and then you go back and you do that structural edit. Like my sixth book um, involved pretty much one of the most intensive structural edits I've ever done. And it was a couple of reasons. One was because I was working off a first draft with my editor, whereas normally I would be working off a second or third. So, Mm. of course, it was a much more collaborative approach from that perspective. But it was also just, you know, there – 
it, it was three books that became two. I had to rework a whole lot of different things into it. And so it's, um, you know, what all, all I'm trying to say is you would think, wouldn't you, that by the time I got to six, my structural edit would be a breeze. Not necessarily. So don't don't be surprised by the things that surprise you as, as you mm. go through, you know, doing your second book and stuff like that. But, you know, as I why, say. Why were you working on the uh, honest first draft with your publisher or with your editor, structural editor, sorry, as opposed because to a signal third draft? Like- because I chose to do that because right. I had because I had a very tight deadline because right. I had condensed two books into one. And because I needed right. to work with someone to get that structurally right, because mm. it was in my head, um, I, in my head, I, it was going to be two books and then it became one book. Um, and so, you know, the whole basically second book had to be then compressed into the first third of this of the second book and mm. it became so it, it's not easy to do that when you have sort of an idea in your mind um so it was it was my choice i was i was yeah. um looking for some additional hand holding and i'm glad yeah. that i did it because i i would otherwise time wise i would have been going back and going back and going back yeah. so it, it it was a very difficult structural edit for me but it it was you know the copy edit was an absolute breeze because I'd done all the work, you know, it was, yeah. it was already done. So I think that you, um, and then of course, what you also need to remember though, is that you can do it. Like you've written one, you've gone through the whole process of getting it published and you can do it. Like, you know that you can do it. So you've got to cling to that thought because it gets rough, but you know that you can do it because you've already done it once. So that's my precie so of how to write may- it again. Maybe, I mean, because you're already on to your sixth book and beyond, so maybe you've forgotten what it was like when your second book was coming out. But a lot of people, because in this blog post at the top of the blog post, Louise does refer to second book syndrome, which is a real thing in that uh, people do find, you know, the pressure of the sophomore act uh, otherwise that it's otherwise known as where the first book has been out there, it's done well or, you know, it's it's done at what you've expected and then suddenly, oh, my goodness, can I repeat that success, not from a writing point of view but from a psychological um, confidence kind of point of view do you oh, have I completely any- understand it because the Adaban Cipher was my second book, really. Like at the end of the day, the Mapmaker Chronicles um, being a series like that, like it was the same world, the same characters. I knew them very, very mm. well. I knew that people liked them. I knew that, you know, they were happy to revisit, et cetera. So for me, like I, I often said, I wrote several blog posts about this on my own website about the fact mm. that for me book five felt like my second book second like I had book, I was right. more yeah. nervous and had less confidence about that mm. than I did about any of the other map maker books so I I completely understand that aspect of it but I just think you have to you know that it's that whole thing of of having that confidence that you did it once so yeah. you know and you know how much hard work it is to do it once so I think that's the other thing you understand by the time you come around to your second book is it's it, you, you know, it's you know it's not necessarily going to be a, a staggering work of genius in that first draft. So you know how many drafts it can take. You know, Natasha Lester, um, the um, author and 
Australian Writers' Centre presenter, wrote a post this week, which I can probably find a link to and share, about how she does six drafts for every book, you know, Mm. every book. And she's up to like her, I don't know where we're up to with her, about working on her fifth or something at the moment. Fifth or sixth. You know, and she likes a six-draft process. And so I think, um, you know, we understand that there's hard work involved and I I think that it's – it's just sticking to that knowledge of the of the persistence required to get published and the persistence yes. required to stay published is hard work. So, you know, if you're willing to roll your sleeves up and put the work in, then you know you've done it once and there's no reason you can't do it again. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely put the link in the show notes, which of course you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now, speaking of persistence in getting published, I came across a link from a Canadian website called CBC, and uh, it's called Michelle Winter's Cubicle Worker by Day, Giller Nominated Novelist by Night. Uh, Now, this is about her debut novel, but this Uh, article, and we'll put this link in the show notes as well, is about how she, Michelle, who's 45, and this is just a great story in, as we were just talking about persistence. So she's 45. She works as a translator for a software company in Toronto and Mm. does, you know, her nine to five. She has a day job and it's a, it's a day job. That's her professional work. And it occupies obviously a huge part of her day, but she, she says that she wrote stealthily for 10 years and she just, you know, wrote on weekends and wrote um, when she got home and, and never actually told anyone about it. So no one knew that she was a writer, uh, you know, in her, in her spare time until, well, not even, even until she got the call that she uh, um, was shortlisted for this prize and was so excited. Um, well, no, she got the call, sorry, that um, she she um, uh, was going to get published by her publisher and was so excited but didn't couldn't really tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Um, so she said, I thought I was going to cry and throw up spontaneously and I had to calm myself down. It's the best thing that's ever happened to you and you have to keep quiet. Wow. <laughs> none of her colleagues even knew that she wrote fiction uh, or, or didn't, or I don't know what they thought she did in her spare time, but they, she didn't talk about her, her writing. And, um, she does say that uh, um, I think anyone can get out and write a book or create something that they love. If you have an hour a night to work on that thing, you eventually get that thing finished. It really can happen. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, that's persistence. She's she's uh, just chipped away at it for mm. for 10 years and, and now she's uh, shortlisted for one of the biggest prizes in Canada. How exciting. So, Yes, yeah, stick with it. Stick with it. It doesn't stick all have to happen it. overnight. Make time. I, make time for it, people. It's worth yes. it. Yes. Yes. Even if it's a short amount of time, it yeah. builds up over time. Yep. Now, I came across a link in The Right Practice called Five Inspiring Tips on How to Start a Story because sometimes, you know, particularly we're in the depths of NaNoWriMo, people are already at their, you know, 40,000, 50,000 word mark or something. There are other writers who aren't quite as confident to write 50,000 words. So I thought that this post might be relevant for those people. And it's five elements on how to start a short story. And it's the first thing is craft that first line. So just like get started. But the Mm. next one I think is interesting. 
nicks the prologue, as in because you often talk about writing your way into things and um, and sometimes you have to chuck out the first three chapters even or whatever uh, before you get to really where the story starts. So nicks that kind of backstory if you feel tempted to to write the backstory. Well, but I don't also, necessarily agree with that. Like, I, and really? honestly, the whole prologue thing just drives me. I have a prologue that starts the Mapmaker Chronicles, the first mm-hmm. series, like the first book. There's a prologue, and it's because it's if your prologue's necessary, keep your prologue. Yes. Like you know, and agents and, and publishers say the same thing. The prologue, it, it, it's one of those situations. It's like anything. If it's mm. necessary, then it needs mm. to be there. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. but if you could lop it off and throw the information in somewhere else, then okay. But if you can't, yes. if that would end up with an endless flashback or, because I can't stand endless flashbacks either, mm. um, you know, like it, it, it's, it's a, it comes down to making that decision of everything in your story needs to be there. So if the prologue needs to be there, then keep the prologue. Yes, I guess don't be attached to your prologue. Write the prologue if you no, don't have be to, attached but to then, it. But don't yeah. be attached to it in case no, that's can, exactly if, right. In yeah. case you can lose it, yeah. um, because that leads into that third point, which is begin your story in media res. So that's Latin for in the middle of things, yeah. and make sure you throw your protagonist straight into the inciting incident, and don't feel t- it's it, it's kind of relates to the same thing. Don't feel tempted to write the whole long backstory. I was reading a manuscript the other day, and I swear, the first two chapters c- could literally just be thrown out. That it was just so much backstory of was this a published story? No, no, it was a unpublished manuscript. Yeah, um, and it, that literally they could just be thrown out because the exciting part started at chapter three, and I could already tell from having read the first two chapters that the writer could have easily woven in those elements of backstory as the story went along. But, so this is you know, this is comes this comes down to our conversation every time we talk about you know me writing and where I'm up to and yeah. how I have to every single time go back mm. and lop off the first two chapters because yeah. I write my way into the story and then I remove the first two chapters. But here's the thing: you know that, and you know that I know that's that your now. process and your technique. <laughs> but there are some people who are stuck on the first two chapters and don't want to let them go. Oh, you know, yeah, who, no. who who feel that they're their words are precious. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, point four, reserve, resist the urge to over-explain. And point five, which I think is a good technique, especially if you're a new writer, end the first chapter on a cliffhanger because at least then you'll keep, you want to keep going and write the next chapter. Yes. <laughs> so you might not end up having it that way or structuring it that way, but in terms of just getting the words out there, I think that's a good um a good yeah. way to go. Yeah, definitely works for a lot of people. I think resist the urge to over-explain is actually about the most valuable tip in this entire um, blog post um, mm-hmm. because this is something that I think particularly when people are writing their first manuscript, um, and I know that I did this, I definitely did this because when my first manuscript sold, remember I had the adult manuscript that sold but then wasn't published, yeah. that was one of the biggest problems with that. But that when I had to go through the various edits on that, it was one of the things that just kept coming up over and over again, leave room in the manuscript for the reader. You know, it was this whole thing of having to, of feeling like I, I didn't want the reader to miss the point and so I was telling the reader the point the whole time. It was, it was honestly, and I read it now. I mean, obviously it's been edited. Um, and so it's it's quite a different manuscript now to what it was when I first started out with it. But I, it, yeah. it is 
the one thing that I did um, wrong over and over again in that manuscript. And it's yeah. funny, but when I wrote the first Mapmaker Chronicles, not only had I written three, four manuscripts by then, so I was, you know, moving away from the urge to over-explain, but I think somehow in writing for children and the way that you the way that I, I went about telling a story for children was totally different. I, I automatically left the space. It's, it's a really interesting thing. And I'm wondering if it was because of the audience or I'm wondering if it was because I'd learned all the things I'd learned from my other manuscripts, maybe a, maybe a combination of the factors. But it was, yeah, but the, mm. that urge to over-explain is one of the single biggest mistakes that you will see in a lot of first manuscripts. I wonder whether the uh, over-explaining in your adult novel, which is one of your first ones, is because you have a background in journalism where yeah. you do have to explain yeah. everything. You have to fill in all the gaps or else yeah. the editor comes back and says, What's this? You why is why not? <laughs> why, why, what, when, why? Exactly. It's actually, you know, it's funny you say that. It's, it's uh, probably got a lot to do with it, uh, yeah. is that, yeah, because I um, was writing, I guess, for the same in my head for the same audience that I was writing, yes. you know, yeah. So potentially that's what it was, but it's, it's what you see in everything. And I read books now, even published books. Now there's certain authors like multi million selling authors that just do it all the time, mm. constantly. And, and uh, often in um, a lot of, cause I read a lot of crime fiction. You see a lot of it in crime fiction. Um, so it's an interesting, and I notice it because it was something I was pulled up for so many times when I was doing that first manuscript. But anyway, why do you yes, read a lot of crime fiction? I just really like it. I like yeah, the, um, yeah. I like the, uh, I like the obvious story, like the uh, uh, crime. Crime novels are, are are driven by strongly by two things: a great character and and a plot. And I like stories mm. with a plot. Um, I'm not someone who reads a lot of literary fiction because I cannot stand wading through words, wondering what in God's name is going on. <laughs> I know. So, you know, it's like I, I, um, I talk to this about with my friend Anna Spargo Ryan a lot. We have hilarious conversations about it because, of course, she writes the most beautiful literary fiction. My favourite work of hers is The Gulf, which is her mm. latest one. I liked The Paper House, which was her first one as well, but um, – I really like the golf because it combines her beautiful, beautiful like writing, but mm. with a really strong plot, which is I think yeah. you know I mean that's the holy grail, isn't it? Is what yeah. everybody's searching for. So yeah, anyway. Yeah, well, it's doing very well. Yes. Um, all right, so let's move on then to um, our giveaway this week, shall we? Yes. Why don't it we? Is, okay, we have 10 double passes thanks to Roadshow Films to the new film Tulip Fever based on the best-selling novel by Deborah Mogach, starring an incredible cast, Alicia Vikander, Zach Galifianakis, <laughs> Judy Dench and Christopher Waltz and set in 17th century Amsterdam. The scandalous and regal film beautifully compared sorry captures the era using exquisite costumes and set design so it's about a rich dutchman and his wife who have their portrait painted as the painting unfolds the painter and the young wife fall in love ambitions dreams and desires lead to a grand deception 
and as the lies get more elaborate, subsequent events lead to a tragic climax. So if you would like to win one of 10 double passes, then go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 27th of November. So make sure you get in and uh, go to writercentre.com.au slash win for tulip fever. So. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, I know. I can't I'd be into that. Yeah. She's, she's in lots of things now. She's the next Lara Croft. Is she? Yeah, to, you know, yeah. What fun. Um, yeah, I know. What fun. Um, uh, are you ready for the word of the week now? <laughs> <laughs> so ready, Val. <laughs> okay, have you used this word, heard of this word or know this word in any way? Benthos, that's B-E-N-T-H-O-S, Benthos. No, I have not. Really? No, I haven't. It sounds like it would make a good name for a band, though. It sounds like a lolly, like Menthos. I like Menthos. <laughs> All right, so this refers to animals or plants that live on the floor of seas or lakes. So we're not referring to Atlantica, where the Little Mermaid is from, but rather the layer of sand, silt and organisms that you find at the bottom of most layers of aquatic zones. Benthos, B-E-N-T-H-O-S. Right. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that used in a sentence by one of our loyal blogging community. (laughs) Yes. um, It's probably not one that you would use on a regular basis, but uh, I I thought it was good. It sounded kind of a bit Greek or it sounded like a, like I said, a bit like a lolly or a cake. So that's why I kind of like the the look of it. Okay. Let's, let's talk about my word of the week. I've okay, got a word of, the word of the week. Go on. Oh, my God. Alison has a word of the week. I hate to laugh. What about Panofi? Did you see, oh, did you see that in the, um, in, the, in the group? So one of the pancake shops, some, one of our very fabulous um, community members shared a picture of their Panofi pancake, which was yes. chocolate, you know, Panofi hotcakes. There you yes, go. Panofi hotcakes. How cool like is that? I like it. And it was shared with us by Nicole White. And I would just like to say thank you for giving me Panoffi because I think Panoffi is hilarious. <laughs> I love Panoffi. Now, I then subsequently asked Nicole where yes. this is. And yes. it is um, in Northland in Preston. So, of course, so but that's in Victoria. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like saying to my partner, where's Northland, you know, Preston? And he was thinking that I really needed to know, like it was in-depth research for something. So he spent the next 15 minutes finding Northland in Preston. And he goes, why, why, what do we need to get from there? And I'm just like, oh, no, it's Panoffi. <laughs> Are you serious? You're doing but all I have this to say, just... let's just share, let's just take a moment to look at the fact that on exactly the same day, um, which was mm-hmm. November the eighteenth, Laura Boyce also shared a picture of her Panoffi hotcakes. I know it's a thing which combines both thing. Team Chocolate and hashtag Team Panoffi Pie mm. because she loves them both. So I'm not sure if that might even be a homemade one. It in which case, amazing. it's amazing. 
Yeah. I mean, even for someone, I mean, take the bananas out and I'm there. But, you know, anyway, <laughs> enough of the panofi. I just thought yeah, it was such a cute word. Panofi. I liked it. But I liked that it. is a good word of the week. I like it. Yeah. So let's move on to our writer in residence this week. This week we're talking to Leslie Gibbs who is, you know, she started her life off as a primary school teacher and then discovered that she really, really enjoyed writing children's books. So she's the author of Scary Night, which has been a CBCA um, notable book. Um, uh, sorry, 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 it was uh, the CBCA Early Childhood Book of the Year honour book. Um, she's also had a CBCA notable book with Little Bear's First Sleep. She's written Bring a Duck, Quick as a Wink, Fair pink cute name and uh is also known for her series called fizz illustrated by stephen michael king and so we have a great chat to leslie about writing children's books here leslie thank you so much for joining us today thanks valerie now look you've you, you started life off as a primary school teacher and then you decided at some point, I want to write and now you write these fantastic children's books. So just tell me, before you talk about your latest book, just tell me how did you get into this? You know, how did you figure out what to do in between uh, teaching? Well, I think I've always had it in me that I'd like to write and um, being a teacher, there are lots and lots of opportunities for me to practice that. So I was writing for assembly items and telling stories and, and doing stories through dance choreography, all sorts of things. But I wasn't writing for publication, but I certainly had got a lot of um, practice going. And through 16 years of teaching, just reading and reading so many picture books, so many chapter books to children. And I think, I don't think I could have written before I had done that 16 years of teaching. I think that was the real background for me to learn how to write. And so it wasn't until I had my two children and went on maternity leave that I thought I actually now have time to write, which must sound really weird. But for people out there who are teachers, they'll know it's a huge job. And it also sort of it has so much opportunity for creativity. That kind of urge is fulfilled. And I think when I stopped um, teaching, I really felt like um, I had this need to fulfill my creativity again. And I thought, well, you've always wanted to write. And you have a little bit of time in between feeding and changing nappies. <laughs> um, it, this is t a time to do it. So you either do it now or you put mm. that to bed and you forget about it. And I thought, well, you're going to have to be brave because I might actually find out that although uh, I can write school assembly items and things like that, that maybe my skills just weren't, um, you know, good enough for publication. So I did have to be very brave and take that leap. At knowing that that I might find that out and that would be disappointing. But I think um, it would be more disappointing if I didn't try, if I got to the end of my life and I, I, I didn't do something that I really would have liked to have tried. So, so when, that's what spurred me on. Yeah, so when then was your first book published? And which one was it? Well, my first book was A Scary Night and it was published in 2014. Now, it was accepted 
in 2012. And this is might be something that listeners don't realise is that you have to be very, very patient in publishing. It takes a long time. So, it, you know, it was accepted in 2012 by Jane Covington and Working Title at Working Title Press. And um, um, my, my illustrator was Stephen Michael King, which I was delighted about. I had um, read his books to students and books that he had illustrated um, over the years of my teaching. And so it was really quite surreal to find out that Stephen said, yes, he would illustrate it, that he really liked Scary Night. Um, but because he's so popular, he was booked out for two years, I had to wait two years for Stephen to be ready to illustrate it. Um, so, it, yeah, it was, it was a long wait. And I had told all my friends this was happening and they must have thought I was lying because it just <laughs> happened for two years. So finally, finally it came out and it just looked absolutely beautiful. It was really a book to be very, very proud of. And it did, it went on um, to do very, very well. And it was um, in 2015, it was um, a Children's Book Council honour book. So I was, I was started yeah, with it. fantastic. <laughs> really good for your debut, I would say. Now, you, it's two years before you got to see it, actually, and hold it in your hand. So tell me what happened after that got accepted. What happened in the ensuing two years before, you know, you got down to the editing and, and, and working with the publisher when the illustrator was ready? What else did you do and, and release or, and write, obviously? Well, you cannot just sit and wait for that to happen because it's two years is going to go. So you're constantly writing and for, for people out there who want to get into writing, you just, um, I think creating a great volume of work is really, really important in terms of creativity. You just keep on writing manuscripts and most of them are absolutely atrocious and that's okay. Give yourself permission to write really badly. Um, but out of every piece of writing, you strengthen your craft. So I was writing and writing lots and lots of other manuscripts. Some of those have now been published and others are just sitting in the drawer. I went on to do lots of courses in all sorts of different places and that's really, really important as well because writing is a craft and it can be learned and it can certainly be improved. So although I came along with some reasonable skills from all those years of teaching and writing and reading books, that was a great background, it certainly wasn't enough. I had to go off and do lots of courses and it was just wonderful because um, it was a time when my husband looked after the children and I went off mm -hmm. and I did something that was just for me and it was so special. And the yes. first course I did was with Francis Watts and I just absolutely adored the course and I learned so much and um, it's just wonderful meeting um, authors. I didn't realise that you could do that, that you sure. could actually meet these people whose work you have admired over the years and they will teach you wonderful things about, uh, about writing. So I just did that constantly, lots and lots of courses, lots and lots of writing lots of manuscripts, sending all sorts of things out, getting lots and lots of rejections. And um, sometimes you would get um, a reject, actually have a rejection slip in your hand. But most of the time, it's if you don't hear from us in, you know, three to four months, we didn't want your manuscript, which I always feel is just, it's so cold. Ooh, <laughs> it's yes. Very cold. Yes. And so, just tell us then, because you have obviously come to writing children's books and starting off with picture books later in life, or you've spent 16 years as a primary teacher, uh, but it's 
it, you've you've done so much. You've been so prolific since 2014. So just take us through just a potted um, uh, list of the books that have been released so far of yours. Okay, from, so from after Scary Night. Okay, so we started with Scary Night, and although Scary Night was my first published, it wasn't the first book that I wrote that I felt was doing really well. That was Bring a Dark, and that came in second with Scholastic. And I think that was then followed by, oh, I'm not sure of the order, Quick as Fairy Pink. Describe, sorry, how would you describe Bring a Duck? What's that about? Oh, Bring a Duck is a riotous story in uh, – a combination of rhyme and prose, and it's about a duck-themed th- um, duck birthday party. So Bear gets an invitation from Pig and it says, you know, come to my birthday party, bring your own duck. So that starts an awful lot of fun at this bring a duck birthday party. But I love birthday parties, and if you know Scary Night, you know that ends with a birthday party as well. It's not scary at all. And then I just followed up with Bring a Duck, which is about birthdays. And then Quig's Wink Fairy Pink came out, and that's uh, I love this book. It's another interactive book. Little Fairy Pink and all the other flutter fairies of different colours are going off to bed, but Fairy Pink um, is staying up. She doesn't want to go to bed, and she plays hide-and-seek, and you have to find her in the illustrations. And Sarah Acton, the illustrator, did a beautiful job with that. That's lots of fun. And then a very sleepy story, Little Bear's First Sleep, which was a notable book this year. Um, that's another one that has come out, illustrated by Lisa Stewart with beautiful soft bear illustrations. And Little Bear is doing something for the very first time. And that's a theme that you often see in picture books because children really relate to that, doing something that they've never done before. And Little Bear is doing his first long hibernation sleep. And unfortunately, when he gets to the cave, mum and dad are asleep already and he has to find a way of putting himself to sleep on his own, which he manages to do. So that's a gorgeous little little story and um then there are some strange little ones there I've got a book called Poppy's Special Talent and it was um, a freelance work called uh, what sorry Poppy's Special Talent oh yes Poppy's Special uh, Talent Poppy's Special Talent and Poppy yeah she um it was written for a, a group of um kindergartens they wanted um they had a grant and they wanted a story that would encourage um their ethnic community to send their students to preschool before they went to big school. So Poppy's Special Talent talks about all the sorts of skills that kids are learning um, in preschool and how they lead to some different occupations and things, but it's done in a really fun way. So that was a really special one. That's now part of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. So I'm really quite proud of how that one's done, but you can't purchase that one. Um, so in how the did you get commissioned for something like that? How did that come about? Well, that came through my agent. So they have sought out a literary agent to ask if there was someone who could write to demand, which is quite a different skill. Um, you know, being uh, yeah, being able to um, take a brief and then and then write that that brief, and that, so that's quite challenging. But I have found that I can do that, so that was great um, getting a piece of work like that. And then um, I have the whole jazz, uh, the whole Fizz series, um, illustrated by Stephen Michael King, and that's a chapter book series of, of four books. And they were also a notable um, book. The first one, Fizz and the Police Dog Triance, was yeah. a notable book this year. So for people who are not quite sure what you mean by chapter books, because the picture book is pretty straightforward, and maybe first why don't you define picture book versus chapter book? 
Right. So a picture book, and this is really important, and I do ask people if, when I speak to um, people who want to write picture books, I ask them, you know, what do you think a picture book is? And they, one thing that they often don't get is that the story is told through both the text and the illustration together 50-50. And there are things in the, te- in the illustrations that just don't appear in the text. And if you take the illustrations away, you've really got half a story in the text. So um, that's a really, really important thing um, to know. And although chapter books have lots of illustrations in them, the text um, stands more on its own and the uh, illustrations are there to accompany it and also to support um, newly independent readers. So chapter books are a longer text than a picture book, but they're shorter than a full-length novel, say a, a middle grade novel, and they're complex enough to be split into chapters. But they are for children around six to nine years of age. And these are the kids who are just starting to read independently. So with picture books, it tends to be um, a joint reading with an adult. The chapter books are their first step into reading independently. And kids, um, they're so enthused by chapter books. They're a wonderful type of um, book to write because um, there's so much – you have a lot of pressure, I guess, on you because these are the books that get kids reading for the first time and really switch them on to lifelong reading. Mm-hmm. And they're the books that they can really, really treasure and re- remember back to those first um, chapter book series that they read. And they are often a series. Mostly chapter books are a series. And the reason is they are so small and slender. If you turn them to the side and look at the spine, when they sit on the shelf, um, they're just going to get swallowed up and disappear. So they tend to be a series so that they take up a fair amount of space on the shelf and people notice them. So, yeah, chapter book series are just so much fun and so exciting and so important. <laughs> yes. So I want to explore more of the Fizz series in a sec, but before we do, um, let's sort of round off. What are your latest books that have come out most recently or about to come out? Well, I have two picture books out this year and both of them are Australian themed and I just love that about them. So the first one out earlier in the year was Fluke, illustrated by Michelle Dawson and it came out through Working Title Press, which is now an imprint of HarperCollins, which they purchased this year. And Fluke is based on... Um, actually, it's, it's awful when I say this because when I talk to kids about how I um, find my stories, they say, well, with fluke and your teachers have to close their ears, it was came from the television. <laughs> so it was, it was reported on the television that um, a southern right whale was born in Sydney Harbour and it was just all over the news in the papers and on television. And the people of Sydney came out onto the foreshores to have a look at this beautiful whale calf and it swam all around the harbour and down into Manly and eventually once it's become strong enough and big enough after a certain number of months it will then leave and go back to Antarctica so I thought that's a wonderful um, story I'm going to weave um, a fictional story around that so there it is based on a real event and there's a fictional story woven in but there were other things that it was based on as well. So there was an incident in Sydney Harbour where a whale was hit by a ferry. It took a chunk out of its back, 
But the scientists believe that it would be okay, which was good news. So I put that in my mind, the idea about having an altercation with a fairy, you know, sort of a little whale in a, in a big harbour. That's a dangerous place to be, really. Um, and then there was a really sad story down our way uh, on pit water, and it was a little humpback whale that became separated from its mother and it was so young it was still suckling because whales are mammals, of course they suckle, and it was found trying to suckle to the hull of a boat, which to a whale looked like the underbelly of a mother whale. And so the marine biologists thought they might be able to get a pod of females to adopt it, but they couldn't. And because they couldn't feed it because it was still suckling milk, eventually it got so sick it had to be put down. But in my mind, you know, I sort of grabbed that and I thought, um, you know, being separated from your mother when you're young um, is an awful thing and something that children have experienced at some stage when mum's gone out of their view. So I sort of put all of these things together and wove this lovely story of Fluke who's born in Sydney Harbour. Everyone in the city comes out to watch Fluke grow and find out um, how what his mother is teaching him. And unfortunately, Fluke goes missing. He has an altercation with the ferry and he dives deep down to the bottom of the ocean to get away from the danger. And in doing so, he becomes separated from his mother and he can't find her. And at this point in the story, it's told through three points of view from Fluke, who's lost, from the people of the city of Sydney Harbour um, searching for this lost whale and from the mother who's calling for Fluke. And, of course, there's a nice ending because Fluke does find his mum and is reunited the, the children are so young when they're reading picture books, and yes, they're reading them usually with an adult. Yes. Uh, like both those stories you just mentioned about fluke and about the actual whale uh, that you referred to earlier traumatize me like you don't understand. <laughs> oh, you're such a softie. <laughs> no, really, I, 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 yes, I, I read some picture books and I feel so traumatized. I, do you have it in your mind, you know, what can a kid who's five or four or whatever, what can they handle? Do you, is that in your mind when you are determining, you know, what happens to your characters and what your characters do and, and the challenges that they need to face? Well, I, I think I always like my um, stories um, to have some emotion about them, whether that's joy or whether that's worry, as in with fluke. But the fluke story goes through a whole gamut of emotions. And I think that's important for children to work through, that these things can happen. You can lose sight of mum, but there's a way to find your way back. And in picture books, you know, we often have, um, you know, the main character needs to find a way themselves and to to be reunited and have that happy ending. Um, I like the fact that, uh, that that happens and I think kids love going through that emotion. It makes them attached to the story. Out. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to. Um, oh, and of course, your other book that's coming out soon is "Bouncing, yes. Bouncing Little Joey's A Bush Christmas." Um, so, and that's that's in rhyme, is it? Yes, this one's all rhyme, and I love writing in rhyme. It's so important. Uh, I think as with my background in teaching, I just know how important rhyme is for children in supporting their reading and for prediction in a text. And this is for quite young children. This is for preschool and into kindergarten at um, 
at kindergarten year one in school. Um, so that, that rhyme is going to help them with prediction in the text. And when they read the story again and again, um, they're going to learn it. They're going to be able to see those words. The rhyme is going to help them. So I, I love writing and rhyme, but it has to be done really well because a picture book is read out loud. It can't clunk. <laughs> it has to be um, everyone has to be able to read it very smoothly. So I do um, work very hard when I'm writing in rhyme to make sure that it, um, the rhythm is correct and that anyone who picks it up is going to read it in a similar way. Um, so you're very prolific, very, very prolific, and a lot of books released in the last couple of years. Now, I'm interested to know, because you've said, you know, you 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 can't wait for two years, like in those first two years, you, you had many other, many manuscripts on the go. How many manuscripts would you have going at once, like say now perhaps, and how do you then divide your headspace or your time or your time allocation to to each of them? Do you have a system or is it just whatever you feel like? Well, when I first started, my goal was to write a completed story, a picture book story per month. So at the end of the year, I would have 12 um, picture book manuscripts. Most of those were no good. But I always um, completed a manuscript beginning to end because there was something that Francis Watts said to me that has stayed with me over the years, and that is if you only write the beginning of a story and know that it's not right and not going to work and then you stop, and then you go to the next thing and write the beginning of that. You're only going to get good at writing beginnings. You won't get good at writing middles and you're certainly not going to have the practice at writing endings. So even if I know the manuscript isn't working, it's not going to be publishable, I still finish the story. And sometimes I have been able to take the ending of another manuscript that didn't work um, and use it in a manuscript that was actually working and became published. So that's a real, really great piece of advice. Always write beginning to end, even if it's no good. Um, these days I, I don't um, write in that way so much and I might have a few things going at once. Um, sometimes I might have a couple of picture books and I might be writing on a, um, a chapter book, having another go at another chapter book series. Um, and whatever I, I'm sort of switched on to at the time that's enthusing me is what I'll be start putting um, – the effort into, and then I might come to a part that's really difficult. I might need need to leave it. It might be best just to leave that manuscript for a little bit and go go and work on something else. And while you're doing that, it's funny what your brain does. It you know it starts thinking about that, and at night time starts to sort through things, and suddenly um, you know an answer appears because writing yeah. is a lot to do with problem solving. Um, and so a problem solved and you might go back to it and, and, and keep going. So I will work on a few things. Yeah. So I want to talk about your Fizz series. Just tell us, which is your chapter book series, um, just tell us briefly what the Fizz series is about. Right. Well, Fizz is a little white fluffy dog and oh. he's based on my dogs, which are Jack Russells, who they don't know that they're a little dog. They think they're a big dog and they'll bark at anything. Yeah. So I wanted a character like that. But instead of being like um, adult Jack Russell, this dog is a Bolognese, which is about the size of a Jack Russell, but really, really, really fluffy. 
incredibly fluffy and frizzy. So I called it Fizz. Um, more than anything, Fizz wants to be a police dog. So in the world of Sunnyvale City, dogs can talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise they do, they can only do what dogs can do. That was sort of the rules of the fizz world. So when dogs, um, are grown up, they have to find themselves a job. Um, and they go to see Ms. Trudgeon at the dog employment department, but fizz does not want to go there because he wants to become a police dog. And he doesn't think that, you know, he's going to get that job because he doesn't look like a police dog. And his parents are very worried about him. They they think that he, think he'll be disappointed, so they discourage him. But Fizz goes anyway, and that's where the, the story starts. And he has a best friend there, Benny, and we meet um, we meet Armadeus, who's a bully, because we all know we've got to put some problems in the way for our characters. So Fizz is small and white and fluffy, and he doesn't look like a police dog. His family doesn't support him. We have a bully who sabotages him, and there are three really, really hard tests that he has to pass in order to become a police dog. And so that's sort of the premise, therefore, the first book in the series. Now, Mm. you might think, well, of course, for the series to continue, Fizz has to become a police dog, but there's a little twist there at the end. And it came about something that Libby Gleason told me at a course. And she said, there are three ways that a story can end. Either your character fails and they don't get what they want, or they're successful and they get exactly what they want, or they fail and they get something that's different, but equally as good or better. And I thought, I love that idea. I'm going to do that for Fizz. So you'll have to read it to find out what actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now, a picture book for the younger readers is usually around 500 words. How many words is a chapter book usually, approximately? Oh, it can vary. So the first books are around five to five and a half thousand words, and that's probably right smack bang in the middle of, of what a chapter book can be. But then there are early chapter books that are a lot less than that. So something like Billy B. Brown, which would probably be for the very youngest of those independent readers. Now, I'm not exactly sure how long they are, but I would say something like 2,000 words. So they're really quite a um, very small word count. Then you've got something like Fears and um, – Oh, Captain Underpants, and they're sort of, I imagine, around that five, five and a half thousand. And then you can jump up to about 10,000. So there's a bit of a range. Um, but, you know, when you start going to uh, a middle grade novel, you're looking at that um, 25, 35,000 word mark there. So there's a big, big jump you can see to a middle grade novel. So you wrote picture books and then you decide at some point that you want to write chapter books, which are totally different. They're 10 times the length of most picture books. They're a completely different age group. Why did you decide to to move into chapter books when you were already going so well with your picture books? Well, Fizz began as a picture book, um, but I just found that the story was too large. I did try cutting it down and trying to squeeze it into 500 words, but it just lost all its charm. So I thought, I think it needs to be a larger, um, a larger word count. And I just let it come out just as it wanted to naturally. And it ended up around the 5,000 word mark. And it just really worked for this story. That word count was just perfect. And uh, I worked on it for um, about six months before I felt that it was, um, that it was right. 
And did you, you – so you worked um, with Stephen Michael King again. Mm-hmm. What kind of collaboration is there on a chapter book? What do you do, do you hand over your manuscript and and leave it to his uh, expertise and skill, or do you have a, a certain level of collaboration um, as to how the pictures and words marry in the end? How does it work? Well, I think the um, the editor is sort of that person that looks at. Um, marrying the text and the illustration. So for me as the illustrator, I pretty much do hand it over, particularly when it's someone like Stephen Michael King and he is so talented and has such a strong skill set that he's able to do that. But there was collaboration in that um, the the dogs were a definite breed and I had – what I like to do is go onto the internet. I love to find pictures of these dogs that just look exactly like the dogs that I'm writing about. And so I sent to him this cast of characters for Fizz so that he had all the dogs and how I saw them looking. And then, of course, Stephen then needs to take those pictures and put them into sort of a caricature of those particular um, um, breeds. And I was shown all these gorgeous uh pictures that Stephen had done and I certainly get time with the editor to talk about them um, but they were just absolutely divine and I knew how Stephen draws dogs because he loves dogs and he's done many dog um, picture books of his own so I kind of knew what they were would look like if they were Stephen Michael Kinged. <laughs> <laughs> so you have written uh, about many characters that are animals and um, obviously you must like animals, I assume, but they yet they are characters with with you know fears and hopes and characteristics and and idiosyncrasies and stuff like that. How do you um, uh, do do you develop your characters in the similar ways if they were humans? Do you create dossiers on them? Do you write down? things that they would and wouldn't do or things that they would and wouldn't say or wear or, or, or whatever. How does that work for you? Oh, they're, they're definitely people. Um, yeah, all the characters are definitely people, but they're put into, uh, you know, an animal um, character. Um, and so, yeah, you do need to know your characters really well if you're going to write well with them. So, so the things that you were just saying then about, you know, writing their likes and dislikes and you know, writing as that character um, to another character, what would they say or what would happen in this situation? So you really get to know your characters inside out. Those are really um, important activities to do, I think, if you're building up the characters, particularly for a chapter book series, I I feel. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, something that everyone should be doing. Um, One of the things that I think you and I have previously spoken about is world building in in your picture books and chapter books. Can you just um, expand on that a little bit more because it was such a great conversation that I think that people get a lot of insight into it. Well, with the Fizz series, um, because uh, this is a really good example of world building because it's different to the world that we know because in the Fizz world dogs can talk and I had to really think about, well, in this world, what are the rules? And I'm going to have to... uh, keep to those rules as I go through this series so the dogs um, have a similar level of ability. So 
when I first started writing um, Fizz and the Police Dog Trance, the first book, I did have dogs with different abilities. So there was a character in there that got cut. I cut that myself and it was a character um, that was Fizz's grandmother and she was reading so that Fizz could find out that there was a police dog tryout. And I sort of, you know, thinking about that, well, you know, do I really want to go to that level where dogs are actually reading? So I thought, no, that's just, I'm going to bring that back down again. So I had to bring in another character, a human character, um, a groundskeeper at Sunnyvale Shelter. Um, and um, he was able to read the article to Fizz. So you have to really think about what the rules are when you're building a world that's different to the world that we know and you need to stick to that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's um, a real skill and something that um, if you're going to write chapter books, you really need to have a really um, good look at that. So do you do that consciously at the beginning? Do you write down the rules of the world before you start writing or is it something that, you know, you, you, you figure out as you go along? Um, I think it's look. You, if you can figure it out before you start, then you're not going to have to go back and redo things. So I would yes. certainly advise for anyone um, if it's if that's something you haven't thought about before, which probably isn't if you haven't um, gone into writing chapter books. I would say yes. Think if you're doing a world that's different to the world and the rules that we know, think about very carefully about what those rules are and how they're going to affect that world and your characters and how they behave. And write that out and then then do your first chapter and see how that feels and how that's going to work for you. Um, rather than going past that first chapter, if it's not working, go back to, the, to your rules and make adjustments because if you go a long way into your story, you're only going to have to come back and undo it and it, it may not be that easy. Once you've written something, it can be very difficult to, to unwrite it. Mm, yes. And now if when you – um, stopped teaching to have your kids. At that point, did you think that you would be where you are now, with all so many books under your belt and and writing as your profession? Um, no, it was a lovely surprise. <laughs> I'm absolutely delighted, um, and it's something that's special just for me, which is which is wonderful. Um, but no, I think, and I often think that. Um, you know, if I could have foreseen what would happen um, for me, uh, how many books I have and how many are um, now printed um, in overseas countries, you know, and having children, say, from America send me little letters saying how much they love the Fizz series. Um, no, I would never have, have thought that would happen. It's just so lovely. And you are writing full-time now? I mean, that's your, 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 your yes. teaching? Yeah. No, no, I'm not back in the classroom, although I do school visits. Um, yes. And so children can certainly see me that way. And I do, I do enjoy those moments of teaching when I do author visits. And you teach adults as well um, in terms of writing children's books. So um, what is the most um, challenging part of, of your writing process, do you think? Oh, I think sometimes um, you can try so hard that you can switch that creativity switch off and that can be really hard. So you can get that writer's block. 
Um, and then you have to work your way out of that. And it's usually by doing little writing activities, um, small writing activities to just to get the writing juices flowing again. Oh, for me, I love going back into my childhood and thinking of like, um, we'll see for scary night. It was, you know, what was the scariest memory that you have or what's the happiest memory that you have from childhood? Um, what's the time, um, that you were separated from mum or just writing down those memories. And, and I think because it's personal and you feel a lot of emotion about it, the writing is a lot more vivid and that can just, you know, switch you back again into that creative mode. And sometimes just remembering those stories from your childhood, your fears and your loves can trigger an idea for a terrific picture book. Tell me what you're working on now. Oh, well, I've got a couple of things. Yes. Um, picture book wise, I'm, I, I love, um, this idea of the wild Brumby. Mm. And so I'm just thinking, can I find something there? I might, I might not. Who knows? And, um, I'd also, um, working, trying to find an idea for another chapter book series and, and working on that at the moment and see if I can come up with something really interesting. Well, you're certainly busy. Uh, now, what can, what's, finally, what's your advice to people who are listening to this and they want to be in your position um, where they're writing full-time, in, you know, something that they maybe um, isn't just an idea in their head but they're just not sure if it's going to happen. What's your advice to aspiring writers? I think going and doing lots of courses so come into the Australian Writers' Centre, lots of courses, meeting um, your favourite authors, mm. asking questions, networking, going to festivals. There are not a lot of publishing houses that um, open up to unsolicited manuscripts. It's getting narrower and narrower. So you need to go to the festivals and um, book in with your manuscripts and have them looked at by editors, by writers, um, um, by agents, and that's the way that you can get your foot in the door as well. So that's really important. Speed dating, I didn't get to do that, but that sounds like an awful lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so like sp- yeah, speed dating with publishers and agents, yes. That's, that's right. You get about five minutes for them to pitch something and if they like it, they'll take your manuscript. I thought yes. that. I missed out on that. I got published before I had a chance to do that, but that's <laughs> a lot of fun. But there are lots and lots of opportunities, but you have to sort of get yourself up away from the computer and actually go out places and, and meet people and do those things as well as, you know, having that time to sit down and write and write a lot and give yourself permission to be, um, to write badly. It's okay. Don't think that everything has to be perfect or you'll never do anything. So I think you've got to get, get rid of all that bad writing, get rid of all those first ideas that you thought were fabulous because they probably aren't. I've always found that, you know, I get get rid of my first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth idea about a certain topic and then I start to find things that are more interesting. Um, so I think if someone comes along and they've got this one great idea for a picture book or a chapter book series, maybe put that to the side until you've honed your craft a bit more and then come back and, and you know, try to write that idea because if you write it, that really great idea too early on, 
um, when your skills aren't quite as good as they could be, it's very, very difficult to unwrite that or try and write it again once you've got that idea down. So I'd say set that really good idea aside for a little bit later and try other things. And maybe you come back and think, well, what I thought was a really good idea actually wasn't. On the other hand, maybe it still is and then you should go for it. Yeah. Love it. Great advice. Um, And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Leslie. Oh, thanks so much, Valerie. It was my pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd love to create your own picture book, a popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In less than a few hours a week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view in a picture book, structure and pace, as well as language and rhythm, finding the right voice, working with illustrators, publishing options and much more. Complete it online for ultimate convenience and receive personalised tutor feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks. There you go, Leslie Gibbs. Lots of great insight into writing picture books, I reckon. Oh, definitely. And but wait, doesn't she have a course coming up with us? Are we not yes, doing a yes? Yes, that's tell me right. More. So Leslie is uh, running a course at the Australian Writers Centre in Sydney, and it's about writing chapter books. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the age where they've just gone beyond picture books, but it's just before middle grade in a sense. So mm. they're still illustrated, but they they've got a lot more words than 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 picture books. It's like when readers are kind of first starting to read independently for the first time, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a course on how to write chapter books. And if you'd like to find out more, go to writercentre.com.au slash chapter books. That's writercentre.com.au slash chapter books. All right. So we're near the end of this week's episode, Al. What are you doing in the coming week? Uh, what am I doing? Well, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> I think we left me writing last week. Um, yes. and I'm pretty much still doing that. So I'm working, yeah, I'm working on a new project and I've, I'm trying to make some headway with that, although it's all been a bit busy. Mm-hmm. I'm also, how's this? I'm also sending off my son's first EP for production. <gasps> really? I know. I know. Oh my God. Like, I've, beca- I've become a music producer in my spare time. And I have to tell you, it's just done my head in completely. Like I thought publishing was slow. This is unbelievable. You're like a um, stage mum. You're like oh, Lindsay Lohan's mum. So not. Like look at me with my feather boa. Um, I'm so not Lindsay Lohan's mum, which is probably a good thing for Book Boy that I am not Lindsay Lohan's mum, right? Um, anyway, so I'm doing that. I'm sending that off and I'm, uh, yeah, just – shaking my head at the fact that I'm even doing that, but whatever. Um, but so mostly cool. I'm mostly I'm working on promoting my books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mostly I'm working on putting the Book of Secrets into as many people's hands as possible. Oh, and I have a favour. If you have read the Book of Secrets, um, it would be awesome if you could just pop a little review up there on Goodreads if you, um, if you liked it. Uh, just helps me to kind of keep the book visible in the lead up to Christmas would be very, very helpful. Thank you. And if you haven't read the Book of Secrets, read it because it's read awesome. Read it. Buy and it immediately you, for everyone yes. you've ever met. It, well, I think it's a fantastic <laughs> Christmas present too. So I know that it's, it's certainly on various – it's it's an item on various lists of mine for this Christmas. Excellent. For the younger people in my life. 
Um, well, I am doing quite different things. What am I doing? I am, I've got a big corporate training project that I Ooh. am working on, um, helping people write thought leadership style articles. So oh. I have been busy uh, organising that and preparing their handouts and, and workbooks wow. and slides for that. So it's been So is that like a, a one-day one. course? It is. It is. So wow. it's basically for people who want to position themselves as experts in their field and they want to do it via, um, you know, blog posts, podcasts, um, articles, wow. that sort of thing. They don't want to commit to writing an entire book because, you know, that does take effort and a lot, a lot of time and research, but they're happy to write blog posts and, and, and those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. There's about 15 people coming to that and it's uh, I, they, they seem like a good group. So I'm, I'm excited. Wow. So that's, a, that's an intensive day, Val. You it must be exhausted after a day, day like that. Yes, but then there's alcohol. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Great. <laughs> of course. What was I thinking? And it'll be on a Friday night by the time it's all over, so it's perfect. Leading perfect. to the weekend. Not that we advocate the use of alcohol for self-medication no. on any level. No, 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 no not at all. No. Um, but where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, please do come and connect with us in the Facebook group. For listeners, just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and we'd love to see you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. So You Want to Be a Writer comes to you courtesy of the Australian Writer Centre and you can find all of the show notes at soyouwantobearwriter.com.au and it doesn't happen without a wonderful team of people behind it including Ra and Stevie and Sarah and Nellie and Farah and Alvin and Elmer and Dean and Kira and a whole host of people who help put this podcast together. Now, this week's Easter egg, um, I have been watching Hidden Figures, which is about the wonderful African-American women who worked as human computers at NASA during the space race. So it's a great movie. I just watched it on Foxtel. And there's a great scene where the astronaut John Glynn doesn't trust the computer's calculations for re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere and asks for the girl to do the calculations because if she confirms them, then he trusts them which apparently is true when I did some research afterwards. It may not have occurred in the actual scene depicted in the film, but apparently he did say that because he trusted her calculations more. In terms of reading, well, I just bought Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow, which is the book that Lin-Manuel Miranda took on holidays with him and inspired him to write the award-winning and awesome and incredible and fantastic musical Hamilton that I am obsessed with. And it was such a great surprise for me to open the uh, book to see that the dedication that Ron Chernow wrote was 
to Valerie, the best of wives and best of women, which for Hamilton fans, you will know that that is um, a line from one of the songs. I'm not so loving, even though everyone's talking about The Sinner on Netflix, I watched the whole thing and just could not get into it. It is nothing compared to the wonderful television series Ozark starring Jason Bateman. Um, I'm excited. Okay, I'm so excited about next week's giveaway. Wait till you hear next week's giveaway. It's just beyond exciting. I can't, I don't want to give too much away. I know it's like vague booking, isn't it? When I tease you like this, but next week's giveaway is a cracker and I'm loving. And you know what? This is not sponsored by Woolworths at all. I have no commercial arrangement with Woolworths, but I re- in a previous Easter egg, um, I did give you a Woolworths hack about the 10% off. But recently, not only did I get the 10% off, if I spent over um, $300 on my online shopping, which I did because, you know, you buy all your non-perishables. I buy the kitty litter and the Omo and all that kind of stuff. Um, You get a free Google Home Mini. So I'll be able to, you know, talk to Google. Okay, Google, what time's my next appointment? That sort of thing. Um, Hey, these little gadgets excite me. Anyway, hope you're going to have a great week and uh, talk to you soon.